When you deal with a disease, when you're diagnosed with something that will change your life, that may alter your life expectancy, that will alter the quality of your life, and now you're bedridden, you're suffering, you're hurting, oftentimes those crucial moments bring us face to face with death anxiety. When you deal with a disease, when you're diagnosed with something that will change your life, that may alter your life expectancy, that will alter the quality of your life, and now you're bedridden, you're suffering, you're hurting, oftentimes those crucial moments bring us face to face with death anxiety. Now, different things in life can, can bring that about. It can be a death of a loved one, divorce, it could be things like a heavy dream, life-altering event, something traumatic, or a diagnosis of sorts. Oftentimes, it's those key moments in our life that will evoke death anxieties and existential fears. Now, we all have them to some degree, and it manifests in different ways. Some people don't want to deal with it at all. They you know, are in denial, or they look for comfort in faith. They don't even deal with death, anxiety, and fear. You know, it's just all about the life after and heaven or whatever afterlife they believe in. You have those who defy their death, defy death, try to defy it. They do crazy things, adventures, bungee jumping, look for that adrenaline rush in different ways, defying death underneath. According to existential theory, that's the, the, the thought. And then you have those who are trying to escape their death anxieties by trying to counter it, be successful, make more money, get face facial alterations and look more youthful, trying to stay youthful and successful and amazing because they are terrified of getting older and life just drifting away. So we all have different ways, more or less, according to existential theory, that deals with death anxiety. When you experience something significant, like being diagnosed with a disease, existential fears and death anxiety will kick in. And there's a whole lot to work through, ideally with a therapist, a professional, working through, through things like, what now? What do I do with the time that I have left? What can I do that matters? Because for many people, death is so scary because... You have to reflect on what did I do with my life? Even like, uh, I believe it's Sartre that says, and I'll paraphrase in my own words, we want it to be um, that when our heart beats its last beat, it falls on the last page of the book. That when death comes for us, he'll find, it'll find a dead man, a dead woman. This idea of having lived life so full that our last heartbeat falls on the last chapter of our life life's book, that all the death can come for is a dead person because we lived life to the fullest. We lived it out. We maxed it out. And that can be done not only in a long life, but in quality. It's not always even just quantity, it's quality. And with that, do something that matters to feel like you matter. And talk about an internal struggle when those voices inside your head, these these lies we struggle with, or, 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 or the dark side of things we struggle with, when that wants to take over and tell us, you're the sheep, uh, I'm the shepherd, it's not your place to lead me. Even though when we go through therapy, when we work through our struggles and our internal trauma and pain and our existential fears, we realize that we very well have power to lead. We very, very well are loved and there is a good shepherd who wants to care for us and we have been given everything we need inside to lead. And taking some time to be distant, he responds. I've been taking some time to be still. So powerful because when you come face to face with yourself, with your death anxiety, with a disease, with pain, it helps to be still. It's incredibly hard, but there's something very profound, therapeutically speaking, about sitting in your emotions, ideally with the professional, someone that can also help guide you. But even with yourself being still and allowing to yourself to work through those internal things, the message he has here is not something we find so often today. In our day and age of quick swipes and social media and people looking externally for a lot of comfort, there's not a whole lot of work being done internally. Even when people claim they are, okay? And I might make a few people mad here or a lot of you, I don't know. But there's a lot of people right now who are more focused on 
fixing their pronouns and identifying with their pronouns than they are identifying with the verbs and adjectives that describe them. There are very different forms of words, and I've said this in a different video, in a, the English language, for example, okay? Pronouns is a very small part of that. What matters more in a sentence is the verb, is the adjective, okay? But we're putting all the focus on, not we, some people seem to be putting all the focus on pronouns right now. And my question would be, your identity is so tied to that little word. What about the verbs? What are you doing with your life? Verbs are action words. What are you doing? How are you living? What are you creating? What about the adjectives of your life? What describes you? Are you kind? Are you generous? Are you whole? Are you balanced? Are you, you know, are you healing? What, like, what type of adjectives and verbs describe you? That should be important. And I had someone comment saying something very valid. They pointed out that for some people that pronoun matters a lot, though, because it not respecting that pronoun could really trigger the self-loathing and could spiral them into deep depression. And I'm not saying that to say we just dismiss people's wishes and we intentionally call them something else to just show people I'm not going to do what you want me to. I'm not talking about that. There are people really hurting and I can only imagine how painful it must be to wake up feeling like you were in the wrong body, suffering and hurting. But what I'm trying to say is, and this person commenting this kind of actually proved my point, if a pronoun the use of one or the lack thereof can cause someone to spiral into complete self-loathing, there is a bigger issue at hand. It wasn't the pronoun in essence. If they're self-loathing, that word in itself already speaks volumes. There's something really deep inside and my heart goes out to them. So I'm not saying this to say we just, you know, dismiss people's requests and feelings, but we got to talk about the deeper stuff. And in our day and age with TikTok and social media, a lot of it is external. And you'll have people that will talk to their million followers and say, oh, I've been doing the work and learning to love myself. But my counter question would be, are you? Do you really love yourself if it's just you? It's easy to feel good about yourself when you're creating crazy, polarizing, provocative content that people either love or hate, and millions are now commenting, oh my gosh, you're so amazing, OMG. Of course, you're going to start feeling good about yourself. That's not doing the hard work. If we have to change things on the outside, and we're so consumed by little words and external things, and we feel good once we get that fix, because social media really does that. Scientifically, it releases these feel-good chemicals in our brain that make us want more. How many subscribers? How many views? How many likes? It's it's understandable. It's human. You feel good about yourself. But you get that fix, now you need more of it. The same goes for all kinds of addictions. That goes for drugs. That goes for pornography addiction, for alcohol addiction. You get that fix, now you need more or um, more frequently or a harder dosage of it to get the same result. And these chemicals that make us feel good for a second are externally influenced and we're not dealing with the internal demons. What he is doing here is dealing with the internal struggle. He's dealing with that voice inside of him going, who are you anyways? He says it here. Oh, you sound more insane than I do. You think those doctors are really there to guide you, right? I've been through this a million times. Your civilian mind is so perfect, always being lied to. Like almost like dismissing his feelings and all his hard work. Take another pill boy, right? Just externally, just cover up, numb, just keep numbing yourself, what that voice keeps saying, drown yourself in the sound of white noise, right, follow this 10-step program, rejoice, all your problems will be, will be gone, effing dumb boy, just really this concept of just external, take the pill, listen to the sound, scroll mindlessly, become a zombie, Ren is responding, I feel like things might be falling in place, my music's been kind of doing bits too, like I actually might do something great, you absolutely are, Ren, when I'm gone, maybe I'll be remembered, and this is where he is, touching on existential fears. When you're hurting and you don't know how much time you have left, you really start asking yourself questions like, what happens when I'm dead? And what does my life mean? And what type of legacy am I leaving behind? 
And the way that he put his guitar in front of his wheelchair and stood up to talk to us in the end, honestly, what he said in the end was already like, what else do you need to hear? I mean, the perfect therapeutic holistic monologue you can hear but the way he leaves his wheelchair uh, his uh, wheelchair and leaves his guitar there is symbolically to me very profound because it implies this idea that when he is gone his guitar his music is a part of the legacy he's leaving behind for us to to hold on to for anybody that comes after us to remember him by and that means something when you feel like you can live on through the through other people through the memories of others that brings a certain level of comfort even professors and psychologists um, psychotherapists like dr yalom who bases a lot of his work and gets a lot of inspiration from philosophers like epicurus they say you know there's the 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 the, the remedy is in having happy and wholesome memories it's not in just hedonistic looking for pleasure everywhere right people will try to defy their death fear with that too let's just go crazy and go party and not deal and just fun 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 right to max out on life but then you end up waking up the next day still feeling empty it's this empty attempt to deal with your fears because you're not dealing with what's inside but there's something profound about creating something doing something with your life leaving a legacy for those when you're gone and holding on to the memories of the good things in your life. Do you, do you, can you relate to that? That internal struggle, that dialogue of, of these voices that want to tell you, who do you think you are? What are you doing with your life? When we are dealing with death anxiety, and, and, and even, and it doesn't have to be a big event that causes this, by the way, you may have experienced this in your life and it wasn't a traumatic event that triggered it or a, a disease or a diagnosis or death. It may just be moments in our day-to-day life where we're going, what am I doing with my life? You see other people succeeding or not, and you go, what am I doing? Those internal voices that will have us believing, oh yeah, who are you anyways? Lies. But my music is really connecting and the people who find it respect it. For me, that's enough because this life's been tough. So it gives me a purpose I can rest in. Powerful. And it's so true. When you have a hobby, an outlet, a creative outlet, um, you can create something that goes beyond you. That is incredibly therapeutic. And I would encourage you to do the same. Find something where you can give to others, pay it forward, put yourself in the art and don't compare yourself. Don't wait till you're somebody else. If you've been trying to do something like I'm doing right now, do it. Put up your phone, just start recording. Don't wait and compare yourself and go, oh, I'm never going to be like him or her or, oh, you know, I can't sing like that. I struggle with those lies and insecurities. We've got to shut that voice up, create. You were made to create. You were made for greatness. You are special. My friend, I'm talking to you right now and I need you to hear me. You matter. The space you fill when you enter a room matters. Your voice, the things you have to say, your life story, the crap you've been through matters. And wherever you are on this journey, none of us know when it's our time to go. You can leave a legacy here and now with the choices you make. Every day before us is the choice. Life or death. Choose life. Choose life. Create love, especially yourself. Let God love on you and let that bubble up inside of you till it overflows so that you know your life has value. When you're down to the bare minimum when you are dealing with your pure existence, existence, pure existential struggles. It's just you. You're still and you have to deal with yourself. That is incredibly terrifying for many. Many of us, if we're not careful, we're just always doing something. Be it on our phone, be it with family, with friends going out. It is so hard to be alone because that's when we really have to deal with who we are. And I personally find comfort in, in my faith and knowing that God is there and that there's comfort and peace available. But that should also not be used as a crutch to deny our death anxieties. The idea or the hope in a possible heaven and faith in God shouldn't be used either to not deal with our demons or not get help when we have issues. And then 
he stands up. And I, I was about to cry. I cried. I was made to be tested and twisted. I was made to be broken and beat. You know me. My will is eternal. And you know me. You've met me before. Face to face to face with a beast. I will rise from the east. I'll settle on the ocean floor. And I go by many names also. Some people know me as hope. Some people know me as the voice that you hear when you loosen the noose on the rope. That to me think, makes me think of mercy. When you loosen the noose on the rope. You know how I know how I know that I'll prosper because I stand here beside you today. I've stood in the flames that cremated my brain and I didn't once flinch or shake. So cower at the man I've become. When I sing from the top of my lungs that I won't retire, I'll stand in your fire, inspire the weak to be strong. When I'm gone, I will rise in the music that I left behind. Ferocious, persistent, immortal like you were a coin with two different sides. Really this idea of yin and yang, of day and night, dark and light. We also find that in the Hebrew a lot of times, this duality where that's part of, of life and it's hard to accept. I think, like I said earlier, a lot of us, when we're not careful, we don't deal with the internal deep stuff. And there's so many ways externally to mask that. Filters, masks, literally things you can do to cover up what's really going on in the music industry where things are glorified that are complete co perversion and crap and people are not actually dealing with the death that's underneath. There's so many ways we can externally try to run away from what's really haunting us. The most powerful place is when we are real with ourselves, and it's just us. And we are have to be still and deal with the dark and the light, which I know many of you appreciate about um, certain artists out there that we've been reacting to, or even metal music, um, certain rappers dealing with the hard stuff, with your deep emotions, with death, with hurt, through music, right? Where others that don't... Uh, don't necessarily explore why, maybe put off because it's so evil and dark. But when you actually listen, it's like, no, it's true. Life is hard and there's some deep stuff we got to deal with. And it's part of the same coin. The storm. Storms are very much a part of our life. Literally, when we look at the weather and, and, and spiritually, psychologically and metaphorically speaking. And it has to be dealt with in order to break through. When I was 17 years old, I shouted out into an empty room, into a blank canvas that I would defeat the forces of evil. And for the next 10 years of my life, I suffered the consequences. I feel that like that sometimes in, in my own way. That when we start trying to stand up and fight evil and do what's right somehow a bunch of obstacles come in. I know that that's the story for many. And it feels so discouraging at times because it's like, man, I was going to go against evil. Now evil is knocking me off my feet. And, and by evil, I mean all kinds of things in a spiritual sense, in a physical sense, with disease, with relational issues. It's crazy. And then he shares what his, the evil was he dealt with, the consequences. I mean, illness, autoimmunity, psychosis. As I got older, I realized there were no real winners or no real losers inside physiological warfare, but there were victims and there were students. Oh, homeboy. Yes. Huh? There's victims and there's students and you get to decide who you're going to be. Are you going to be a victim? Is this going to defeat you? Whatever your diagnosis, whatever point in your life you're at right now, or are you going to be a student and learn from it? It wasn't a David versus Goliath. It was a pendulum eternally. This is interesting. Swaying between the dark and the light, the brighter the light shone, the darker the shadow it cast. That's true. The more, th this is crazy because scientifically this is fact, right? The more, the more bright the light is, the darker the shadow. But you have that even in a spiritual sense, right? The more you want to do what's right and, and walk in the light, the more you possibly become aware of the evil and the wickedness that's out there. But what's crazy is there's also a verse in, in the Bible that says, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And I do see that even throughout the whole um, the Old Testament, where in all the crap the people were doing, in all the mess where God was like, I'm done with y'all, you constantly could see that message of hope throughout 
saying, but I will redeem you. I will redeem you, but I'll bring you out. There's always so much hope. Hope keeps standing up. The sun keeps rising again. It was never a battle for me to win. It was an eternal dance. And that's freaking powerful because I think when we shift our thinking in life in general from, oh, I got to win this battle. And that goes for everything, right? When it comes to success and money, when it's all just about climbing a ladder and this constant pursuit for the next thing, oh, the next holiday, right? You see it in the stores all the time, especially in the West, the commercialization. Christmas trees haven't even been taken down yet and it's already there's already stuff for Valentine's Day out. We're always chasing the next gift, the next fix, the next celebration. And it's so easy to be sucked into that. That goes for everything from, oh, the latest product to, oh, what are you supposed to look like or be like as a man or a woman? That goes to the latest trends that applies to, oh, the distractions politically or economically. Oh my goodness, we're all doomed. This war, this uh, inflation. And it's just constantly distraction after distraction after distraction and creating this mindset that we always just have to fight. Once I reach this, then I'll be happy. Once I find this spouse, once I have the kids, once I reach this promotion, chasing after wind and then our life's over. Instead, realizing it's an eternal dance. The more rigid I became, the harder it got. The more I cursed my clumsy footsteps, the more I suffered, which is also very um, literal here with his diagnosis, but also very psychologically applicable. The more we hold on to something and try to fix it, the worse it gets. To me, for example, I had a very bad habit, well, many, but a very bad habit of often saying sorry all the time, like very unhealthily, to the point where, and it stemmed from insecurities and fears and other things that I won't go into detail now, but it got so bad to the point where I would say sorry for saying sorry, and it would annoy many people, understandably so. But no matter how many times people said, stop saying sorry, oh my gosh, I, I didn't stop, oh, sorry, sorry. And I remember one person, I wish I remembered them to this day because I would thank them now. They said, who, so, who cares? So what if you say sorry? And it did something in me. I didn't, imagine, I didn't magically stop saying sorry and I was healed from these insecurities and these, you know, people-pleasing urges. But it did something in me because I realized, yeah, so what? And by shifting my mindset and being like, yeah, that's who I am, accepting myself with that, it almost over the course of time allows me to be more gracious with myself. And naturally, I then have to I say sorry less versus digging my heels in, right? Cursing this clumsiness in, in whatever area. And now the, I suffer even more because I'm obsessing about it even more. And that goes for many things. People that have OCD, you know, can relate to that. The more we obsess about it, the more our neurological patterns in our brain are reinforced because we're thinking that the neurons are firing and these patterns are are um, being reinforced in our mind. That goes for muscle memory too, right? The more you do something, it becomes habitual. And the more we cling to something, almost like, I gotta relax, I gotta relax. Naturally, we're not going to relax. And so I got older, I learned to relax. I learned to soften and that dance got easier, which is literally true, right? When you go with the flow, you feel the music, it's easier to dance. And that goes for our mental health, our physical being too. It is this eternal waltz that separates human beings from angels, from demons, from gods. And I must not forget, we must not forget that we are human beings. And that is very true. Not human doings, not human was was is <laughs> human beings, present progressive, being. It's a present progressive a verb. It's an ongoing thing where we're growing, where we're students. And we have that possibility. You have that choice today, death or life, darkness or light. You have that choice. Which side of the coin are you going to listen to? Storms and darkness are a very real part of our life. There's no denying it. But there is hope and you get to choose and you get to create and leave a legacy. I mean it and I'll say it again. I hope you know you matter. Do something of value. Choose life today. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. You're so loved. You are so flippin' loved. Mm -hmm.